Please join in our entrance hymn, In You, My God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. Together with Father Patrick Kennedy, part one to the Diocesan uh, Legion of Mary, uh, may I welcome you to morning celebration of Mass here at St Bride's, which is of course the funeral Mass for the repose of the soul of Margaret Arbuckle. Welcome to yourself, uh, Robert and Amanda, and uh, Mark and Ewan. Uh, welcome to Margaret's nephews and nieces, great nephews and nieces, uh, all of the family that are here with us. Welcome to Margaret's uh, friends who are here with us. Welcome to all the family friends. Especially welcome are the members of the Legion of Mary who are here with us as well. Uh, welcome also to the, the little sisters who have joined us uh, for the Mass uh, today too. We come here at the end of a remarkable life, uh, one which is a uh, dedicated in so many different ways. Uh, we thank God for all the graces uh, that Margaret has received, but also in the many ways in which she was a grace uh, to all of our lives. So today uh, we pray for the repose of our soul, but really most of all we're thanking God for the grace of our life uh, that has been such a, a grace to all of us. To begin the Mass and to offer it more worthily, we first call to mind our sins. I confess, Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, I have lately sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me, the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, Almighty Father, our faith professes that your Son died and rose again. Mercifully grant that through this mystery, your servant, Margaret, who has fallen asleep in Christ, may re rejoice to rise again through him who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever.
A reading from the Book of Wisdom. The souls of the virtuous are in the hands of God. No torment shall ever touch them. In the eyes of the unwise, they did appear to die. Their going looked like a disaster. They're leaving us like annihilation. But they are in peace. If they experienced punishment as men see it, their hope was rich with immortality. Slight was their affliction. Great will their blessings be. God has put them to the test and proved them worthy to be with him. He has tested them like gold in a furnace and accepted them as a holocaust. When the time comes for his visitation, they will shine out. As sparks run through the stubble, so will they. They shall judge nations, rule over peoples, and the Lord will be their king forever. They who trust in him will understand the truth. Those who are faithful will live with him in love. For grace and mercy await those he has chosen. The word of the Lord. A reading from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. We know that when the tent that we live in on earth is folded up, there is a house built by God for us, an everlasting home not made by human hands in the heavens. We are always full of confidence then when we remember that to live in the body means to be exiled from the Lord, going as we do by faith and not by sight. We are full of confidence, I say, and actually want to be exiled from the body and make our home with the Lord. Whether we are living in the body or exiled from it, 
we are intent on pleasing him. For all the truth about us will be brought out in the law court of Christ, and each of us will get what he deserves for the things he did in the body, good or bad. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. With the coming of the evening, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us cross over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him, just as he was, in the boat. And there were other boats with him. Then they began to blow a gale, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that it was almost swamped. But he was in the stern, his head in the cushion, asleep. They woke him and said to him, Master, do you not care? We're going down. And he woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Quiet now, be calm. And the wind dropped and all was calm again. Then he said to them, Why are you so frightened? How is it that you have no faith? And they were filled with awe and said to one another, Who can this be? For even the wind and the sea obey him. The Gospel of the Lord. St. Paul, in the reading of today's Mass, mentions tents. Not surprising uh, that he should do this or turn to this image because by profession he himself uh, was a tent maker. It's probably uh, missed by us the significance of the image itself. Uh, Tents, in actual fact, turn out to be important in the whole Bible. The people of Israel spend a lot of time of their history in tents and nomadic people who are searching for the promised land to live in. The tent would be built for a time in a place uh, and then packed away and then they would move on. In times to come then, it would be a great symbol of their identity also as the people of God on the great journey towards God himself. They were, they said, aliens in a foreign land travelling towards the destination and homeland uh, that they were seeking. The tent itself then became an important symbol to them in all sorts of ways. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant was also kept in a tent too, and it was known to be the tent of meeting, the point in which they would meet God, that halfway point between themselves and God. Believe it or not, we also use this kind of symbol in the church too. The word tabernacle uh, means tent, uh, the place where we keep the Holy Eucharist. We cover it also with a tabernacle cover, which reminds us uh, of the tent itself in the Old Testament. And it's meant to signify for us, like the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, in this case, in the Eucharist. Just as St. Paul himself uh, today in the reading uh, speaks uh, of something that you would have known, tents and tent making and so on, So in the Gospel, we hear of the apostles at their profession too. They're all in a boat because they are fishermen. And they would have been themselves accomplished sailors. But clearly not on this occasion, for a wild storm comes up, a sudden squall if you like, and before they know it, their skills come to nothing. The boat is going down. 
Meanwhile, Jesus himself is asleep in a cushion amidst the storm. But then, of course, he's wakened and calms the storm and wonders at their lack of faith. It's much more than a journey itself uh, that goes wrong because the story itself is an invitation to those that listen to it about trusting God. For amidst the storms, he calms them and he can make the wind die down. He can still the seas and he can guide us to safer waters. We're simply asked to have faith and trust. Those readings then that we have listened to remind us of things that we are to recall in the Mass today. That sense, as St Paul himself says, that we are now living, if you like, in temporary accommodation. We are on a journey. We are aliens in a foreign land and we are travelling to our destination where we replace that good sturdy tent with something even better, more permanent in the heavens, that heavenly home. So we've come to trust that through the storms of life, after these times in which we've been buffeted and maybe gone off course, that in the end we will come and be guided to our true destination. The storms will pass and we will be in the place where God wishes us to be. All through her life, as you will know, Margaret Abruckel had strong faith. But not just a, a strong faith, but a faith that was schooled by a deep spiritual life and a deep friendship with God. Nourished by an incredible commitment to prayer and a great desire to know God and to deepen her relationship with him. And also to hand that faith on to others. I have no hesitation in saying to you today that she was one of the most outstanding laywomen of her generation through her work with the Legion of Mary. Many people themselves might be lauded and known, but that quiet, faithful work that she did over the years in Scotland and abroad was amazing and remarkable. It will stand in years to come as a great testimony. We can't help also today thinking about Robert, her husband. He likewise was a remarkable man, quiet, courteous, and very virtuous. Both of them lived a deep spiritual life and were an outstanding witness to the Catholic faith that they lived. Just a few words about Margaret's uh, life uh, by way of reflection. Robert will say a few words at the end of Mass today uh, uh, as well. Her maiden name, as you probably know, was McCamley. She was born on the 19th of December 1926 at Sunnybank Street in Dalmarnock. Her parents, John and Margaret. Ten children uh, in the family. Only uh, four survived. Uh, Bridget and Rose and Joseph were the others apart from Margaret. Uh, they had a great bond with each other. Her memory was replete uh, with childhood memories, uh, growing up in a room and kitchen. The bombs that fell around about uh, the house in the wartime too was a great uh, vivid memory. Going to school at Our Lady of Fatima and then to Charlotte Street. She found her way, as many did in those days, into teaching. She taught in St Anne's and Deniston for 20 years and would later on in her life teach at St Timothy's and then be head teacher at St Edmunds in 1980, retiring from that in 1986. Her work in the Legion of Mary uh, began when she was a young woman, and it was to, uh, to last for the rest of her life. She actually met uh, Robert through her work with the Legion, and of course they married in 1963. She gave up teaching to look after young Robert when he came along, and he has been a great son to his mum and his dad, faithful, loyal and loving. And both Margaret and Robert loved him very much indeed. The family itself grew, of course, in later life with the arrival of a much-loved daughter-in-law, Amanda, and, of course, those grandchildren that are here with us today, Mark and Ewan. 
Family life brought great happiness and contentment to both Margaret and Robert's life. They were delighted to see Robert and Amanda do so well and happy to live to see Margaret and June and Mark and June grow up. Of course, over a lifetime, uh, Margaret herself was an excellent uh, teacher and many people benefited from her work. Over these years too, over the years of her life too, she was an excellent parishioner in the parishes to which she belonged. And I want to record my personal thanks to her uh, today and the thanks of many priests whom she helped. She was deeply loyal and a deeply caring person to us all. Just a word about her work in the Legion of Mary. It was an immense work. It was an organisation that was founded by Frank Duff, an Irishman, to allow lay people to develop their spiritual life. Weekly meetings were important in which they prayed together and set out to do work to bring the gospel to all sorts of people. And people like Margaret and Robert, who stayed in this movement for years, found it deeply enriching for their life. It was a schooling, it was an education that made them progress. And if they were the finished article, they were certainly people that would highly commend such a group. It's not an exaggeration to say today that they were legendary figures in the movement here in Scotland and will always be remembered. Their passing is a source of great sadness for this movement. Both Margaret and Robert were quite a couple. When I say that they ambled, <laughs> I mean truly that they ambled. Nothing, nothing made them move fast. <laughs> they were always at the cow's tail. And even though they said they were never late for anything, they were always late for everything. <laughs> they were hab had a habit when they were going out the door, just about to going somewhere, usually to Mass, where they would stop and say, I think we'll have a wee cup of tea. <laughs> of course, they were never going to be early, but this meant certainly that they were going to not to be there in time. Margaret herself was always a bit of a worrier, I think I often used to try to reassure her, but I suppose when you're a worrier, you're a worrier. Often those worries passed, and the worries never seemed to be as bad as Mar Margaret herself thought that they would be. She was always one of those dependable people in life, someone who would start things but would always see them through to the end. If she said that she would do something, then she would do it. If she took something on, it wouldn't be for the short term, but for the long term. We saw that especially in her work with the Legion itself, but here in the, the parish itself, uh, through her work with the instruction of the new candidates uh, for the church, uh, and I'm sure it was especially evident in her work in schools. She was a very smart and intelligent woman. She could grasp things easily and had a great power of communicating things also. I think she must have had that gift in her teaching days, but as I say, we could see it very evident in her preparation for the candidates, her baptism, or those becoming Catholics. She had many qualities uh, that I could uh, number here today for you. But one of the most endearing qualities that I found in her was that joyful side of her life, where she could easily laugh. She enjoyed the company of others, like chatting, like meeting others, and of course, having tea with them. Always tea. St. Paul says, in the end, we exchange the tent that we've been using in life to move to a home in the heavens. What a great image that is of death itself. It's moving house. And any moving of house is an upheaval and a worry. But in the knowledge that we're moving to something better, what a great thing that is.
That image is on our minds today. Margaret moves from something good to something exceptionally good. From an earthly homeland to a heavenly homeland to a destination that her journey had always pointed towards. Now, her life is folded away, packed away, and she moves to a place where God himself wishes us to be. We are happy for her. A life of great joy and of great service to the Lord has ended. A life full of joy and happiness and fun and goodness has ended. And it leaves in its wake many good things. So may the good Lord bless her and may Mary, whom she always turned to, to guide her, guide her steps quickly to heaven. May I invite you to please to stand for the bidding prayers of the day's months. For Margaret and Robert, that they may be reunited in eternal peace. Lord, hear us. For all our deceased relatives who have given us good example and loving support, Lord, hear us. For families, that they may be united in peace and accord, Lord, hear us. For those who suffer in the world from great injustice, that they may receive fairness and respect. Lord, hear us. For an end to all wars that bring death and destruction. Lord, hear us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many graces that we've received in our own life, and we ask you to listen to our prayers through Christ our Lord. pray, dear brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice endures may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice of your hands, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. 
As we humbly present to you these offerings, O Lord, for the salvation of your servant, we beseech your mercy that she who did not doubt your son to be a loving saviour may find in him a most merciful judge. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It's truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere, to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. For it's at your summons that we come to birth, by your will that we are governed, and at your command that we return on account of sin to that earth from which we came. And when you give the sign, we who have been redeemed by the death of your Son shall be raised up to the glory of his resurrection. And so with the company of the angels and the saints, we sing the hymn of your praise, as without end we acclaim. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, And you are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray by sending down your spirit upon them with the dew form, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take this all of you and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you've held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that, sharing in the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world. Bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope, Joseph our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember your servant Margaret, whom you have caused from this world to yourself. Grant that she who was united with your son in a death like his may also be one with him in his resurrection. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, the Blessed Joseph, our spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you. Through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God Almighty, Almighty Father, Father, in, in the unity of the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit all honour is yours forever and ever. Amen. We pray with confidence to God our Father in the prayer that Jesus has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may always be free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, look not in our sins, but in the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, 
who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Peace of the Lord be with you always. And now let's offer one another a sign of peace and friendship. Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world, blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. to Holy Communion today. Uh, if you perhaps don't want to receive communion but maybe would like to receive a blessing, just to come forward to place your hand on your breast uh, here and I'll give you a blessing. Uh, if you uh, don't want to receive communion or a blessing, then just to remain seated.
Let us pray. Lord God, whose Son left us in the sacrament of his body, food for the journey, mercifully grant that, strengthened by it, our dear sister Margaret may come to the eternal table of Christ, who lives and reigns for ever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Firstly, thank you everyone for coming today. And before I start, thank you to Father Morton, um, not only for this morning, um, but the support that he gave my mum and dad over the years, and myself and the, Amanda and the boys over the last few weeks. And sorry for all the times my mum and dad were late for Mass. <laughs> Trying to sum up everything here that mum did in her 96 amazing years is impossible. I'll try and give you a bit of a flavour of what it was like from my perspective and how lucky I was to have been her son. Father covered off the kind of family side of things. Mum's early memories that I remember her telling me about were simple things in life like going to her Uncle Willie's sweet shop after school to see what treats he would give her. Easter Sunday mornings would be walking from Dalmarnock all the way up to Cathkin Brace to roll the hand-painted eggs. As the Second World War started, Mum went to school at Charlotte Street, bright student, artistic and musical. That's when she started to learn to play the piano, a pastime that brought her great pleasure as well as many others, and something she continued to do right up until just a few years ago. She would tell stories about during the war how the family would frequently have to go to the local air raid shelter during the blitz to avoid the German bombardment, trying to bomb the local power station at, at Dunmarnock. To get away from that, the girls were evacuated to the borders. Unfortunately, they weren't kept together. It must have been incredibly difficult for three young girls who not only shared a room, but shared a bed. Family, family holidays weren't spectacular. Maybe trips to Rossi or doing the water on the Keppel when they could manage. Mum completed her higher leaving certificate and went to study primary teaching at Saint, uh, Notre Dame. Loved her time there and made lifelong friends. She had a roommate called Mary Rice, who she ended up reuniting with when she was in Joseph's over 70 years later. On leaving college, Mum and some friends took a trip through France and Italy, taking in all the sights on the way. They had a great time, a ball. On returning from her travels, she began teaching primary one in St Anne's in the east end of Glasgow. Loved working in the infant department and did so all her days. There was one story from her first week dealing with these four and five-year-olds. She was doing the all-important class register and shouting out their names in her best posh teaching voice. There was one name she had to call out several times. Catherine Glasgow, nothing. Catherine Glasgow, no reply. Give it one last chance. Catherine Glasgow. Complete silence. But the head count in the register weren't tying up. Numbers were out by one. So mum said, anyone whose name I have not called out, please put your hand up. A wee girl puts her hand up. Mum went straight over to her. So, you must be Catherine Glasgow. No, miss. Mum said, well, what's your name then? Cathy Glasgow. It was around this time that Mum's long involvement with the Legion Mary started. Her active participation lasted over 60 years. She held a variety of offices, including President and Secretary. And it was through the Legion that Mum met Dad. They hit it off right away. Mum liked telling people what to do. <laughs> and Dad liked following orders. <laughs> but only in his own good time. They got married a few years later on the 16th of February 1963 and moved into a wee house in Garahill. Five years later, I came along and mum gave up teaching for a few years to spend time with me. I think my dad got the better draw there. <laughs> in 1973, as I started primary, we moved to Campbell's Lang and mum got, got her job as assistant headmistress at St Timothy's in Greenfield. And I think her years there were her happiest as a teacher. In 1980, she moved to St Edmunds in Pollock to become head teacher there. 
She enjoyed her teaching days and were very fulfilling for her. The three sisters, my mum, Aunt Bridget and Aunt Rose, were all either headmistresses or assistant heads and we all lived in Camas Lang from the 1970s onwards. The families spent a lot of time together then and were very close and still are. There were regular gatherings and parties for baptisms, first communions and weddings. Christmas and New Year were also celebrated enthusiastically is probably the best way of putting it. Uh, lots of Morecambe and Wise, very late nights. Mum was never the first to leave. When I was growing up, our holidays really were home-based. We would go to Millport, Mull, Barra. Then we would start to go to Ireland many times, including one of my favourite trips to Kerry when my cousin Claire came with me. After I left school, we started to go abroad and there were trips to Portugal and France, of course, including trips to Fatima and Lourdes. When I think about packing and getting organised for these holidays, it always makes me smile. There was no one quite like my mum and dad, as Father Martin said. They weren't particularly organised <laughs> and weren't the best timekeepers. It was tea, and it wasn't them, it was the tea. If we were getting the 7 o'clock ferry in the morning from Stranraer over to Ireland, the packing would start about 9 o'clock the night before. Two cases would come out and some clean clothes would be folded, no, thrown into one case. <laughs> Dirty clothes would then go in the other case because we'd wash them when we got there. <laughs> then about 10 o'clock they thought, we've not got enough clothes, so the washing machine would go on. That stuff would go in a black bag, still wet, in the back of the car with me and we'd hang that up when we got there. This is all normal behaviour, I don't know what you're laughing at. Mum retired in 1986 and Dad shortly after. They had a very long and happy retirement together. They were seldom apart. Holidays then were varied and regular. Several visits to Lourdes, Rome and the Holy Land. And some trips over to Canada to see the family, my dad's family over there. And trips to Spain to see, to see my mum's brother Joseph and his wife Val. Mum visited Finland many times too on Legion of Mary Business, along with her friends, the McNeeses, who are here today. During the time, they both continued to be very active in the Legion, and Mum would often offer people a lift home who couldn't drive at the end of every meeting, no matter where they lived. Now, my mum didn't drive, um, <laughs> but my dad was the first free Uber. Their daily routine would be coming to 10 past 10 mass, and then on to breakfast at Morrison's Cafe. Most of the time, this was with Aunt Rose and Aunt Bridget, and Uncle Tommy too, when he retired. During the week, Mum would often suggest, how about a wee trip in the car, Robert? Always just a day trip, but they could end up anywhere from Largs to Fort Augustus. <laughs> I would come in from work, and I'd find my dad sleeping in the chair, exhausted from a 200-mile round trip. <laughs> and my dad, my mum would say, can I get a wee cup of tea, son? Sometimes mum and dad didn't have any logic. Well, that's not sometimes. Um, <laughs> they were off all week so could do their shopping any time when the shops were quiet. No. They would go Friday, five, five o'clock on a Friday night when everyone had finished work and the place was mobbed. Throughout her life, there were three things that mum said she always wanted to master. Swimming, driving and cooking. <laughs> As for swimming, holidays consisted of my dad getting my mum into the pool at the sea holding her hands and trying to get her to lift her feet. <laughs> Never happened. This, I think, is when mum started her, oh, mammy, oh, mammy, daddy, that became, she became famous for. Driving, well, after trying and failing to get anywhere with all the local driving instructors, dad took on the unenviable task of teaching mum how to drive in a car without dual control. It was a very brief affair. And it ended just round the corner from here in Cadzo Drive. My mum turned a corner, then didn't straight up, crashed straight into a wall, and there was a man and woman in full wedding attire on their way to their son's big day. <laughs> Cooking. Christmas and New Year were big occasions in the family, and we'd always get together for dinner, drinks, and various things. Christmas would be Aunt Rose and Uncle Tommy's, and New Year would be Aunt Bridget and Uncle Frank's. I think Aunt Rose and Aunt Bridget felt my mum was getting away without the, having the stress and hassle of having to organise one of these big events every year. So it was decided that mum would have to take her turn and Burns Night would be introduced to the family calendar. 
How appropriate that it was Burns Night. <laughs> Burns Night was then removed from the family social calendar. <laughs> Although she didn't achieve any of these three things, Mum had so many strengths and talents, such as her teaching, piano and organ playing, leading sing-songs and her artistic side, but she was at her best as a raconteur, having people in stitches with stories of her childhood and her teaching. If anyone who wants to join us later, ask me to tell you the story about the Moore family, if you haven't already heard it. I've spoken to many people since Mum passed, and some of the words they used are inspirational, kind, strong, devoted, determined, fun, a role model, and according to the boys, sometimes a wee bit scary. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> they saved the late Celtic footballer Tommy Burns that his life revolved around three things, family, faith, and football, with mum, family, faith, and another wee cup of tea. <laughs> family meant the world to mum. She found a perfect partner, my dad, and they shared 54 wonderful years together until he passed away six years ago. Dad knew that mum was a bit of a worrier and he had the perfect reassuring personality to keep her calm at all times. He was totally devoted to mum. In fact, my dad kept his own illness a secret from her for a good number of years. Amanda and I had to tell her on Christmas Eve when we had to explain why dad was being kept in over the festive period. He knew that telling mum would have caused her great upset and concern so he quite rightly chose not to tell her. must have been incredibly difficult for him not to be able to share his worries and fears during this time, but as always, he put her first. He died less than a month after we told him. Her grandchildren were a constant source of joy for her and my dad. And when in babysitting duties, she would play all sorts of games with Mark and Ewan, and then my 80-year-old dad would go out and play football in the garden with them. The boys loved their granny and granda dearly, and they missed them greatly. And I'm sure they took note of how my mum and dad lived their lives, and I know that they are better people for having spent so much time with them. As for me, I couldn't have wished for more caring and loving parents. As soon as I came in the scene, everything they did was with me in mind and for my benefit. As with Dad, I became closer to Mum in the last ten years or so, and those are memories I will always treasure with both of them. Mum's faith was astoundingly strong, in fact unshakable, and an inspiration to others. She had devoted her entire life to the church and the Legion in particular. Even when Mum's mobility was very limited, she was still very involved with the parish and coordinated the RCIA programme here in St Bride's for a good number of years. As she got older, she didn't do less than before. She just did everything a little bit more slowly. <coughs> About two years after Dad died, and after a number of falls, and that was my mum, not me for a change, it was no longer safe for her to be at home on her own. So Amanda and myself started the difficult task of finding somewhere for mum to spend the rest of her time in as happy and most fulfilling place possible. It was a very short search. St Joseph's in Robroyston was perfect for her. She spent the last four years there, and myself and Amanda would like to thank all the people who took the time to go and see her. She loved the visits from family, friends, and legionaries. Mum didn't like to be on her own. She always liked company, being in a party or a sing-song or having a wee cup of tea. We nearly lost Mum a couple of times, most re recently Christmas 2021. The day before her 95th birthday, she was admitted to the Royal Infirmary, and we were told that there was nothing they could do. Father Morton was called and gave her the sacrament for the sick. The doctors weren't even going to give her fluids. They said it was time for her to go and to prepare for the worst. I had made a promise to my mum that I would never let her pass away in a hospital. So I contacted St Joe's and we managed to get her home on Hugmanay, essentially for palliative care. However, once back in St Joe's, her recovery was both swift and miraculous. Her will to live was quite inspirational. She wanted to save her every minute on this earth and didn't want to miss a thing. Woe betide you if you didn't invite her to a party or a gathering, because she'd come anyway. I'd like to thank everyone who went to see some, to Mum in St Joe's. She wouldn't have settled so well there or been as happy had it not been for your regular visits. During her time at St Joe's, Mum never lost her spirit or the ability to have a laugh at something or reminisce about a story from the past. 
She attended Mass regularly and enthusiastically took part in all the organised activities put on by the team. The care given by the staff at St Joe's was truly exceptional. We never had any concerns or worried about mum's well-being, comfort or happiness while she was there. Huge thanks go to the team at St Joe's led by mother and the special mentions to Grace, Diane and, and our nurse Claire. In particular, they made the last week of mum's life very peaceful and comfortable. In addition, the love and care they showed to myself, Amanda and the boys at this time was heartfelt and sincere. We will always remember and take comfort from their compassion. Thank you for welcoming us into your family. You will always be part of it. <laughs> this is quite ironic. There should be no tears shed from my mum today. She wouldn't have wanted that. She would have wanted everyone to tell stories about her and laugh a lot. She's with God and with Dad now, and the rest of her family. Many people have said or texted me to say, 96, wow, Mum fell just short of a century, or she had a great innings, like a batter in cricket. I'm not an expert in cricket, but in cricket there are a number of ways for a batter to get out. You can be bowled, or caught, or stumped. None of this happened to Mum. There's a rare thing in cricket where one batter is in from the start of the game and never gets out and is still there at the end. Meanwhile, teammates around them fall. This is known as carrying the bat. Mum has carried the bat to magnificent and undefeated 96. And as I say, now it's time for tea. Thanks of God. 